The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something special. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think the phrase now is that I burnt out in this job. But I, I, I actually, when I was went into the job, the people said, "No, you burn out in about four years." I lasted six. Um, it was one of those kind of jobs, and it's just—it's kind of—it's not fun when it's happening um, because your head is filled with all kinds of everything. But it also happens to people who work too hard and who are too conscientious and all of those kind of things. I didn't really stop to consider my personality style. I just said, well, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, this isn't tenable. And I started to become serious about my writing. And that, uh, you know, involved an amount of starvation and uncertainty and anxiety, which went on for another few years. It wasn't as easy. You know, people love a narrative. Oh, you know, she uh, hit a wall, had a nervous breakdown, became a writer and bingo, you know, won the Booker Prize. That's not really exactly how it was either. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Best-selling, Booker Prize-winning author Anne Enright spoke to me about eagles and moles, the interior engineering of a novel, her love of Irish poetry, and her latest, The Wren, The Wren. Anne won the Man Booker Prize and Irish Fiction Award for her novel, The Gathering. She's also been awarded the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence, a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Irish Book Awards, and was the first laureate for Irish fiction. Her latest novel is The Wren, The Wren. Named a most anticipated book of the year by Time, The Millions, Lit Hub, and others, it's described as the story of three generations of women who must contend with inheritances of poetic wonder, and of abandonment by a man who's lauded in public and carelessly selfish at home. The New York Times called it a powerful, thoughtful book by one of the great living writers on the subject of family. And Pulitzer Prize-winning author Jennifer Egan said of the book, The Wren, the Wren is an electrifying romp through language itself, to dizzying possibilities and satisfactions, led by one of the most gifted writers working in English today. Anne has also published two books of short stories, Essays on literary themes have appeared in the London Review of Books and New York Review of Books, and she writes for the book pages of the Irish Times and The Guardian. In this file, Anne and I discussed the moment of burnout that changed her career, how she used to be a night owl scribe, why you shouldn't over-panic or over-plan, the fallacies of imposter syndrome and inspiration, how to create a fictional poet out of thin air, taking a long look at James Joyce across the table, and a lot more. 
Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. Our esteemed guest today, we are back on The Writer Files with a best-selling and Booker Award-winning author, Anne Enright is hanging out today, and we uh, pray that we keep this uh, internet connection going. Yes, indeed. I don't know who's, who's one is dodgy, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, these are the, the, this is the way of, of the online world, of course, but uh, we are honored today to have you to hang out with us for a minute to talk about your latest, The Wren, The Wren, and this uh, fantastic career of yours. And, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to talk about all the things. How are you feeling? I understand that you're hanging out in New York right now. I am. I'm, I put my back out. I'm lying on a hotel floor in New York. That's what New York is for. Oh, no. Yeah, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. I'll just get, yeah. I mean, whoever answers the question, how are you? I answered the question, how are you? With um, too, too much information there, but it should be okay. <laughs> okay. Fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. And uh, we are um, lucky to have you to talk about this really interesting career path that you've had. And, you know, I understand, obviously, you were a writer from early on and studied creative writing uh, at university, and then uh, became a, a television producer kind of uh, early in your career before yeah. you became a, a lauded um, novelist, right? That's that's right. You know, I was a baby uh, creative in TV. I was a television producer and director, one of those people who are far too young who go around ordering people around the place. So that's what I did for six years. I ran programs and did all kinds of things until uh, until I ran out of steam and youth and willingness <laughs> to work 80 <laughs> hour weeks, you know, so. Um, yeah, that was a, it was funny because I, I had never really intended uh, to do anything other than write, um, but it was a hard job to turn down. And then suddenly there I was. Yeah, interesting. So I understand you kind of had, you know, a, a breakdown, if you will, about, you know, kind of this lifestyle that you were leading sure. and, yeah. and decided to kind of make some, some lifestyle changes. So, yeah, no, I had a great moment of reckoning yeah, um, in my early I suppose early 30s, late 20s, early 30s. That's when, which is now such a long time ago. But um, I think the phrase now is that I burnt out in this job. But I, I, I actually, when I was went into the job, the people said, no, you burn out in about four years. I lasted six. Um, <laughs> it was one of those kind of jobs. And it's just, it's kind of, it's not fun when it's happening um, because your head is filled with all kinds of everything. But it also happens to people who work too hard and who are too conscientious and all of those kind of things. I didn't really stop to consider my personality style. I just said, well, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, this is untenable. And I started to become serious about my writing. And that, uh, you know, involved an amount of starvation and uncertainty and anxiety, which went on for another few years. It wasn't as easy. You know, people love a narrative. Oh, you know, she uh, hit a wall, had a nervous breakdown, became a writer, and bingo, you know, won the Booker Prize. 
that's not really exactly how it was either. <laughs> no, I don't imagine it was. But you did have some early successes and of course. Sure. Yeah. Um, we're nominated for some prizes kind of early on, early on in your career. Yeah. That's another narrative that nobody ever heard of me before the the before I won a prize. But you know, I was I was happy enough by the time all that came around. I was just working on my books and, and actually that's more or less what I do now is just sit there and write another book mostly. It's not a bad life if you can you're not a bad job if you can get it. <laughs> well, you've written all kinds of things, of course. Short stories, essays, you know, nonfiction as well. So, you know, talk a little bit about, I guess, how your life changed and how your, your writing process has changed over the years. Because in 2007, after your fourth novel, The Gathering, as you put it, kind of put you on the map, some really interesting things have happened. And, and you know, I, I, I can't imagine that winning a prize initially like of that magnitude it helps your productivity but uh yeah you've done a lot of other things as well um including becoming the first uh laureate there um in ireland and yeah talk a little bit about kind of yeah no the first laureate for fiction in ireland so i suppose yeah you kind of mix it up a bit people ask me sometimes about writer's block and i haven't really suffered from it because I've always got three things on the go at one time and my technique my procrastination technique involves doing the one thing that I shouldn't be writing that's what I'm writing at the time so all the other things that are jumping up and down shouting to me about deadlines they don't get done until the last minute so somehow that keeps my productivity ticking over one way or the other I'm I do write nonfiction for, you know, places like the New York Review of Books and the London Review of Books and, and the Guardian I review. So I'm part of the literary intellectual community, you could say. But I'm so I'm interest led, I suppose. Um, I write I write about what seems to be interesting to me at the time or indeed sometimes I just write when people ask me to. But usually or always there's a novel in the background ticking over um, and so that's the kind of that's the main that's the main day job is is writing a novel and just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive writer files patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews a writer's happy hour bonus breakdowns and a lot more I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So what kind of a writer are you? Um, are you a yeah a morning writer? Do you, you kind of <laughs> uh, you know a good question is you know one question is always morning or afternoon. Another question is do you write? Are you an eagle or a mole? Do you write high up? Is is it an attic room with a view, <laughs> or do you like to kind of you know? bury yourself in the basement, basically, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, cozy in. I suppose like Marcel Proust in his cork-lined room, um, who, who never got out of bed. Um, <laughs> right. So, I, 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 you know, because I've been writing for so long, I've, I don't know how many books I've written at this stage, but I've been writing full-time for uh, 30 years or 40 years or something mad. So I've been everything. I mean, when I started out, I used to be an all-night writer, and I'd go from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. in the morning. And that was a way of going basically mad. I mean, that was not a productive way to proceed. Um, it was just a way of spiraling downwards into the, which I think you always have to do. You always have to sink. Um, and that's sinking into the text or sinking into the story, sinking into the difficulty of what you're writing about um, is psychologically challenging no matter where you are you know you're always when you're starting a book looking at the same wall um as you as you looked at the last time and and you're waiting for things to emerge that aren't always pleasant you know and they have to be somehow not so much processed as used or or observed or they're they're part of it too so it's not all not all um playfulness and interest and curiosity led there is a kind of I think always a, a, a vaguely depressive mode early on in a novel. That's just that's just the way it is. Um, some people can't stand it and, and have to get out of there really quickly. Um, so I'm a great believer in staying with it, staying still, not panicking, not over planning, not you know structuring like crazy and. You know, I used to, back in the day, I'd have a big fantasy book. I'm going to write out epic. It's going to be at three generations. It's going to be 600 pages long. It's going to, you know, it's not, people aren't going to read it. It's going to fall off the shelf and knock them over the head. It'll knock them out, literally. <laughs> um, and that fantasy book, you might plan it and structure it. And so it's all a bit of a con, really, because what happens is not that big plan. It happens in the writing. It happens in the relationship from one sentence to another in the tone and in the style and in the language. And so I'm very alert to those things now. Um, mm. I don't have to go looking for them. There they are. I, I, I realize that my book is already somehow on the page waiting for me to discover it. You're not, at this point, you're not searching for inspiration anymore. You're just working. And, and you, know, you have that kind of workmanlike process. Yeah, when people talk to me about writing and how do you do it, which is a constant, really interesting, I mean, really interesting, that curiosity from people as though it was somehow unimaginably difficult. 
um, like flying or something. But you make a book. You, you, you put it together line by line. So it's not exactly like taking off in flight. It's more like building an airplane and running it down the runway to see will it, will it go. Um, but a lot of that anxiety people have, they say, well, where does the story come from? As though it might arrive in the door, you know. They're, they're, they're often looking outside themselves, either for, you know, validation for a story that's welling up from them that they really need to tell. Is it okay? Is it a good story? Is it a book? Is it, you know, all those kind of imposter-y kind of feelings come up. Or they, they wait for inspiration as though the book were going to arrive from outside. And actually, when you're writing, you do get into, in a state of flow, there is a sense where the characters are, are telling you what, what they can do and what they can't do. You, you do start obeying the book rather than the other way around. The book does declare itself to you after a while. Um, I love that. And yeah, let's talk about um, your latest, The Wren, The Wren, which, uh, I mean, congrats on the reception here in the U.S. has been just uh, incredible. Like Legion, these reviews. Um, I don't know if you read your reviews or do you have someone read them to you? <laughs> no. Well, I wish I did actually. My husband just couldn't care less about reviews. He cares about the books, but the <laughs> reviews don't interest him all that much. But I do squint at them from a distance. Yeah. And I kind of say, oh, okay, okay. good. I'm still, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it was cool that, of course, you know, you've had some peers come out um, of the woodwork and, and some really sweet thoughts and about the book. And of course, the New York Times called you called the book uh, a powerful, thoughtful book by one of the great living writers on the subject of family. I thought that was pretty sweet. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. New York Times. And then, um, of course, uh, you know, regarding the poetic um, aspect of the book, which we will get into. And writes poems have a language of their own that transcends time. Like the novel itself, they sing with grace and beauty and hearting truth. That was the Washington Post. And so many fantastic others that I could read. But um, of course, uh, yeah, how are you feeling? What's the vibe over there um, today? Yeah, a, a great. Um, uh, it, it, was, it was very well reviewed. I, to, I'm always astonished that I'm still here. That's actually what astonishes <laughs> me. <laughs> it's just true because the the books are always very small they're very in you know there's a lot of interiority involved you're in a room um for a long time and that doesn't change so you bring it out into the world and of course you hope um but actually i've given up an awful lot of that market driven kind of second guessing who will like this who won't like this I'm much more attentive to the work itself. Um, and that's what I do now because I've been doing that. I, I mean, I've been writing for so long. That's my luxury now. I can just pay attention to the book itself uh, while all that's going on. And I, I, I don't need to please anyone um, in some way. So when I do please, as it were, the, the critical culture, I'm, I'm always surprised. Hmm. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And I thought it was cool that, of course, Margaret Atwood, who herself um a booker winner i believe maybe twice twice yes said of the book gritty sad sly riotous and writes gen packed language fizzes like a sidewalk firecracker yeah that's pretty fun and you know um we won't do any spoilers here but the wren the wren available now has been named at most anticipated book of the year by 
time, the Millions Lit Hub, uh, many others, and yeah, really cool to see. Uh, I think um, described as three generations of the McDera woman must contend with inheritances of poetic wonder and of abandonment by a man who is lauded in public and carelessly selfish at home. But yeah, I want to talk about the inspiration behind the work and of course your love of you know these great irish poetics and and kind of you know uh yeah i understand that you were reading quite a bit of poetry during the lockdown as well i was well i mean it was so hard to concentrate wasn't it so april 2020 in ireland the weather was astonishing and i was out walking every day and spring was coming and it was just the most remarkable and frightening and interesting and 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 I'm going to say enthralling time. I mean, as in I was enthralled to the world. I was just so interested in the leaves and the flowers and the, the natural world, the ferns unfurling in the woodland. I was taking incredible, paying incredible attention to nature. And so it was in itself very tragic and also oddly lyrical. So when I was reading, it was really hard to read or write a novel because, you know, who knew what was going on and how, where, where would a novel end up? And, you know, the novel didn't seem kind of uh, able for all of this, but I was reading poetry and I read poetry in Irish. Now, I'm not a very good Irish speaker, but that was what I reached for, was like deep into my own heritage in the Irish cultural tradition. And I was reading poems about uh, birds who had died four centuries ago, and I just found them incredibly moving. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't believe how fresh it felt that these little fragments of uh, these scraps had endured, you know, just uh, and, and could 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 move a reader as though for the first, you know, as though they had never been read before. Um, as soon as I opened the page. So I was in a poetic mindset. I mean, poetry was in the ether somehow. I was also writing a very tough-minded character called Carmel, who, who annoyed me slightly, actually. I didn't like her all that much, but <laughs> I didn't let that kind of, she, she wouldn't go away. I didn't kind of realize, she's kind of tough-minded and pragmatic. And I, I, I only realized later that was everyone at that time. We were just getting on with it and, and no messing, no, no, dreamy <laughs> no dreamy rhapsodic sort of no sighing on our chaise long we were actually just putting the work was astonishing and and we all limited the way we thought about stuff so just to get through just that survival mode anyway carmel's in survival mode and she's been in survival mode all her life after her father left when she was 12 she just shut down things and and, and made it all work uh, in a really practical sort of way. She doesn't have a room for a lot of fancy dance stuff, especially not the fancy dance stuff of, of her father's poetry. Then she has a child, Nell, who is basically her grandfather all over again. She is a passionate, poetic, willful child who's going to do exactly what she wants to do in life, just like... Phil, the grandfather, she's going to leave if she wants to leave. She's going to go out and make her own mistakes. She's going to have doomed love affairs, the whole, the whole nine yards. So, I mean, 
when she does go out and have do, a doomed love affair in, in, in high poetic mode, I mean, the world has changed and she's a different gender than Phil. So uh, her grandfather, the poet, so things go slightly differently. She, uh, the, 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 uh, it's not a good, it is a very far from a good relationship. So, yeah. So those are the, well, I mean, so, somehow the book works between pragmatism and poetry. Mm-hmm. I suppose Nell, who is the, a kind of little star in the book, really, because she's just got so much energy and so much curiosity and verve. You know, I really loved writing Nell. She's only in her early 20s. She's very online. She's very curious and uh, busy-minded uh, and, and stump blunders around the place and makes all kinds of mistakes, and, <laughs> you know. But she was a lot of fun to write. You know, kind of one of the big, bigger themes um, is kind of inherited intergenerational trauma and the, this mother-daughter uh, contrast, you know, and then, you know, uh, shifting between kind of analog and digital and the past and the present. Yeah, talk a little bit about these really interesting dichotomies. I don't know if it's trauma so much as rupture or loss. Phil uh, Phil the poet leaves because his wife gets sick and he, he can't deal with it. So he leaves in anguish. I mean, he's anguished and he, 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 he runs away rather chaotically. It's not like he's an art monster who decides, oh, I have to be a poet. I'm going to leave my family. It's like he, 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 can't, he can't manage himself properly. Um, and he's very self-absorbed, of course, and all the rest of it. So his poetry is in the book as a way of kind of intervening in that art monster narrative, you know, so you can look at the work and say, okay, this, this is him. This is him. He's not a, he's not a, he, or when he's young anyway, he, he wasn't a strategic or manipulative sort of person. But later you do see that that charm is actually kind of, is kind of more predatory than lovely. That, that's later in the book. Um, when he he uh, has gone off to Boston to be an Irish poet abroad, but so I mean so so I suppose that is traumatic. But it's mostly what his granddaughter gets is his inimitable style. Um, they both say the same thing basically that poetry is about freedom. That uh, what they want to do is Phil said a poet is someone who walks the road. And Nell later says, "I just want to. I just want to leave. I just want to go out and, and sleep under hedges and wake to the rain." Yeah, I love that idea. Um, yeah, and that is kind of the the um, poetic ideal for sure. Uh, well, congrats on the work, and you know, um, you're talking a little bit about the renunciation of language, and and I don't know um, that narcissism, but it doesn't f- filter always through, as you put it, kind of that art, art monster narrative. But yeah, uh, talk a little bit about the creation of this fictional poetry because, it, 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 you know, it, obviously it's been getting rave reviews. Uh, was that was that hard for you? I mean, because you were reading some great poets and then you're like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
you know, Phil, I never say in the book that he is a great poet because his poetry is <laughs> in the book, so people can make those judgments for themselves. He was a poet of reputation, of some rep rep reputation. His daughter doesn't know if he's any good, you know, she just, or whether he's just a kind of example of something. And he is an example of the lyric Irish mode, uh, a rural Irish poetry of ditches and hedgerows and birds and the natural world. And um, that was very fashionable in this, in the time, in, you know, in, for a long time in Ireland, it can still uh, be quite fashionable. Um, and so I don't, I, as I say, I don't make any great claims for the poetry. When Phil, I, I, I knew Phil really sort of well and thoroughly as soon as I sort of, as soon as he walked into my head, I knew this guy. I mean, I, I, so I had no problem sort of parsing his ego. I mean, I had no, no, I knew how, what his emotional response to things would be. I knew what he valued. I knew what he didn't value. It was all kind of easy. But how, how did he write his poetry? That took real work, you know, or real thoughtfulness. Um, you know, I really built his poetic practice. I mean, uh, you're reaching back to Kavanaugh, but probably not Yeats, you know. <laughs> um, um, I'm putting in some, you know, other kind of a little bit of the sardonic uh, satirical mode of Louis MacNeese. Um, some of the kind of peasant, the noble peasant poetry of Pora Cullum. I mean, for people who know Irish poetry, they'll, they'll get some of these references. Uh, but actually, for, when I was going around trying to write, the, the world started to yield up poetic tropes to me. You know, I was away on holidays uh, in Connemara where some of the poetry is written and there on the beach was a, a, a little rib cage of, a, of a, perhaps a dead lamb or something that had been washed out to sea and then came back and lodged on the dunes. And I looked at it and said, there's Phil. Phil, Phil likes that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was looking at a poem by Phil. Um, if I could just write it up. So you're looking for the moments that he would take out because as a writer I wouldn't be all that interested in a in a in a you know skeleton on a beach not so much <laughs> but there he was so he was with me all the time and I stayed with him and you know his eyes my eye so in a way you're kind of being the poet for him so quite it's more than imitation actually it's a little bit more than imitation interesting um well it's fascinating to hear you talk about it Thank you so much for your words and wisdom and time today. Um, I would love to just ask you a fun question. And, and of course, uh, it's been a pleasure to pick your brain a little bit and love to have you back. But if you could have uh, any author from any era to your favorite uh, place in the world, be it drinks, dinner, both. Yeah. Who, who would you take and, and where are we going? I would take James Joyce. Yeah. Somebody has to, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I would take him out not very far. Like, I mean, I think he just drank red wine not far from home in some, yeah, no, a small restaurant near, near, near in Dublin. That's where, that's, that's where we'd go. Um, and we would, uh, you know, sink a few bevies and I would just have a good look at him. And I would just <laughs> listen to him and I would just try and, find what style of a man he was. It's very hard to 
figure out. I, I don't think he was particularly good company. Well, he could sing. I mean, he was he, he was good <laughs> company in the way that, you know, he socialized. But he may not be entirely nice, you know. Anyway, wouldn't it be? That would be just fully exciting. Oh, my God. Yeah, to be a fly on the wall for that one. Absolutely. Uh, what are we eating? We're drinking red wine, obviously. He's but... drinking red wine. Yeah. Uh, what are you drinking? Uh, well, I, I kind of fancied that he would drink an old-fashioned bottle of Chianti, you know, with the with the basket weave around mm -hmm. it. You know, the, um, <laughs> so, or, yeah, some light Italian thing. I'd have some Pinot Grigio, thank you. And oh, okay. uh, I suppose we'd have to eat awful, wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> he'd have kidneys and all kinds of yeah okay um, um. <laughs> we, we, okay so it's a French restaurant and it's one of those ones where they, they're not afraid of the inside the uh, inner organs of beasts okay <laughs> and, and I might stick to a salad thank you I'd, okay. I'd have a kind of pear and walnut salad with oh that would be nice wouldn't it with blue cheese lovely. yeah yes. that's what I'd have yeah mm, and, mm -hmm. and he'd have he'd have brains and <laughs> <laughs> perfect all the good stuff yeah. um yeah well again thank you so much for taking the time congrats on the run the run um and of course i'll link to all the things and uh yeah one final uh just uh just your inspirational thought on how to keep going how to persevere how to persevere i mean there is nothing but perseverance that's all there is it doesn't matter how, how good you think you are, how bad you think you are. You, it, it, it's all about showing up. Anyway, you know, and you, don't, you know, <laughs> it, it, that's not a hint, is it? That's me being <laughs> tough and saying, yeah, what else is there? There is nothing else. Um, but also, you know, chip away. Chip away. I mean, I used to count words and count pages, and it was always a disaster because you get 2,000 words down and you think you're fantastic, and then you'd, you'd cut one and a half thousand of them and you'd only have 500 words but they would be better words so now i don't i don't measure progress i love that just do it just do it i've yeah. heard these words before from uh multitude of all just do it and thank you so much again for taking the time to do this we wish you the best of luck and please heal up get uh get some rest some ice a chiropractor yeah. Or, or you, don't, you, don't, you don't call it a chiropractor. In... Yeah, we do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you do? Okay. Maybe that's exactly what I need. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or a massage. I've forgotten. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. That can go badly wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they can poke the wrong bit of you. Oh, I thought it was osteopath. Osteopath. Is that uh, a that? clicker. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I want to go to a clicker either. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think lying flat on the floor is the way forward. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well. Thanks for your concern. Some good painkillers pain and a, a bottle yeah. of uh, wine. You know, maybe <laughs> half a Valium or something. Okay, if I could find one. All right, and, okay. And thank you so much. You. Okay, you thanks, well. Kelton. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. Dot FM.